The EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network presents Theology of the Body with your hosts, Father Richard Hogan and Katrina Zeno. Welcome and thank you for joining us in this ongoing discussion of Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. I'm Katrina Zeno, co-founder of Women of the Third Millennium and a conference and retreat speaker. And I'm Father Richard Hogan, a priest of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis in Minnesota. And with the permission of our Archbishop there, I work full-time with a national apostle called Natural Family Planning Outreach of the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. So, Father, in our last show, we were continuing our journey. We were looking at marriage as a sacrament. And, you know, it reminded me of when you really see this in action. It's an amazing thing to see. I was with some friends in Lafayette, Louisiana, and watching their marriage and just seeing the sacramentality of it watching the husband lay down his wife his life for his wife and watching her respond it really it was a source of grace for me as well mm -hmm. not just for them mm -hmm. it's illustration of what we were talking about earlier in these in the series what john paul ii talks about that the human body speaks a language the language of personhood and when we act like god the way we're supposed to act the way we're called to act from the fact that we're made in god's image when we act like God and express those acts in and through our body, which we do most of the time, there are purely internal acts. We can just think thoughts or choose abstract things. But generally speaking, we, as human beings, we express our acts in and through our bodies. And when we act like God, the way we're called to, and express those acts in and through our body, then the body speaks the language of God himself, reveals God to one another. And, of course, we see God in ourselves and in others through that visible reality of the human body. And Pope John Paul II says that marriage is a very important place where that body language is expressed. Yes, incredibly important very place. Important. It's a witness in a very dramatic way, if you will, not only to the Trinity, the communion of persons in, in the mystery of the Godhead, but also it is a visible reality that everybody uh, sees and and can can appreciate. Well, guess what I've pulled out of my bag. Is this the last time now? Yes, this is the last time. So that means that we're on to cycle number six, the sixth section of John Paul II's Theology of the Body. So we've looked at original humanity. We've looked at uh, humanity fallen and then redeemed by Christ. The three ways of the body expresses the person in paradise after sin now and then in the resurrection right. or glorified body glorified humanity and then we made the switch we went on and looked at the applications of those so we looked at this um, vision of the human person in virginity or celibacy and then we just finished looking at marriage and now our sixth section we're going to look at uh, John Paul II reflecting on humanae vitae and I know some people feel that one of the whole reasons Pope John Paul II developed Theology of the Body was just so he could make these reflections on Humanae Vitae. He actually says that, that the, the, at the beginning of the sixth cycle, which, uh, remember now, these, the Theology of the Body was a series of talks John Paul II gave at the Wednesday audiences in Rome from September 5th, 79 through November 1984. And they, they comprise 129 talks, 129 weeks. And this sixth cycle begins at 114, 114, and goes to the end, 129. And he says at the beginning in 114 or 115 that this is the crowning glory. This was the reason for all of the development. Now, there's a, that's not to say that all of the, the previous fifth cycles are, should simply be viewed as though they were preparation 
for the sixth one because there's there's a wealth of information here, wealth of thought that stands on its own. Nevertheless, they do support the interpretations that John Paul II gives to Humani Vitae. Now, we should probably translate that. Humani Vitae was the famous encyclical of Pope Paul VI, issued July 25, 1968, and the translation is On Human Life. And if you're not familiar with that, I'm sure you're familiar with the so-called birth control encyclical. Uh, Humani Vitae of Paul VI was the doctrine from Rome that uh, taught that every single marital act needs to be open to the transmission of life, banning any kind of contraception. And of course, this is the issue that has uh, disturbed the church in a certain sense since 1968. On the other hand, and looking at it from a different point of view, it's one of the glories of the church because the church was the only body in at that time or since that has taught this important truth about the human person and the human body. And when you go back and look at what Paul VI wrote in 1968, only some six years or so after the development of the birth control pill, what he wrote and about what those effects were going to be, he was prophetic. He was prophetic. I think it would be, would be very helpful for our listeners if we could set some historical context for the release of Humanae Vitae, because I know in talking with some people, it almost seems like Humanae Vitae was a left hook. You know, just Came right out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, right. but yeah. when, as I read Theology of the Body, and read especially this section, the Pope is very historical. He's very careful to set it in context and to show that what he's writing is in continuity with what the Church has always taught, and yet he's trying to give it, once again, a new language, a new angle, new dimension. Right. So tell us a bit about the Lambeth Conference. Well, it even goes back further than that, because there's a book by Noonan called Contraception, published, I think it was in 66. It's a very famous volume. Uh, Noonan is a historian, and he wrote 450-some pages on this, proving beyond any question with his first 400 pages that the Church has always banned contraception that Paul VI teaching in Humanae Vitae in 68 that every act should be open to the transmission of life is what the church has said for centuries since St. Paul's time. And then Noonan argued in the, in the conclusion in 66 when he wrote the book or when it was published that the church could change this. He basically repudiated the first 400 pages or better put he didn't see even though he had written it what he what the conclusions would necessarily be he didn't follow his own, own, conclusions. own conclusions after humani vitae came out some two years later Newton wrote a new conclusion saying well obviously the pope was right because uh 19 centuries of church history said the same thing you can't just sweep, sweep them out, out of the, the door. way mm -hmm. it didn't come out of nowhere it was the consistent repeated teaching of the church for centuries but the lambeth conference is very important in 1930 Lam Lambeth Conference was an Anglican meeting of the Anglican bishops in England. And at that conference in 1930, for the first time in any Christian denomination, the Anglican bishops made an exception with regard to contraception. And Pope Pius XI responded at the end of that year in, in December with this famous encyclical called Casti Canubii. And I have a quote from that that I'd like to read because it was very, once again, helpful to me to see what was already being written in 1930, mm -hmm. way before you know the development of the right. birth control pills and other things. So Pius XI wrote, 
since therefore the conjugal act is destined primarily by nature for the begetting of children those who in exercising it deliberately frustrate its natural power and purpose sin against nature and commit a deed which is shameful and intrinsically vicious not quite the kind of language we're used to today and he goes on this is kind of the official language of the church then he says our mouth proclaims anew not just for the first time but anew any use whatsoever of matrimony meaning the marital union exercised in such a way that the act is deliberately frustrated in its natural power to generate life is an offense against the law of God and of nature and those who indulge in such are branded with the guilt of a grave sin very strong language very strong language but the pope you have to understand the context he was uh, responding to the this anglican exception made earlier that year within uh, six months or so the issuance of costa canubi now Pius XI had a difficulty and the difficulty was that this question about procreation and marital love and its meanings had been addressed before often in the history of the church and to take Augustine Saint Augustine of Hippo the famous Augustine of the Confessions he had said in one of his writings that uh, marriage was for uh, the two spouses what is called the unitive now after uh, the words of Humani Vitae or the Pope Paul VI encyclical and procreation although Augustine did kind of emphasize procreation more than the conjugal love between husband and wife Thomas Aquinas picked this up and refined it and said no both of these things are really more equal than has previously been seen and finally you come to St. Alphonsus Liguri who synthesized this whole tradition of the, the meaning of marriage what should be included was the question in terms of the physical gift of the spouses as well as their intention and he said that obviously life needs to be included if the couple is fertile and he also said they should intend the good of each other and intend procreation if that was possible but they didn't have to be thinking about it all the time it was what what is called virtual intention it was a beautiful synthesis a beautiful way of uh, summarizing in effect and synthesizing 1700 years of Catholic reflection on the meaning of marriage but the whole question was what should be included with the advent of the Lambeth conference and modern contraception the question changed the question was what can be excluded and what do you mean by that well in other words can you exclude procreation mm -hmm. can you in have the pleasure of the marital act uh, and be naturally fertile and at the same time frustrate that fertility this was the question that faced Pius XI now with Alphonsus Liguri and everyone previously the question had been what should be included and you resulted with this great synthesis if you change the question you get a different answer because and the question was changed to what could be excluded, excluded. and Pius the 11th and Costa Canubi says you can't exclude procreation in other words what's the minimal minimal right mm -hmm. but you see that broke apart mm -hmm. in most people's minds this great synthesis of Alphonsus Liguori because from Costa Canubi in 1930 through 1968 with Paul VI Humanae Vitae the church was accused in effect 
of ignoring every other meaning of marriage except procreation. In other words, the church was viewed as all it cared about, cared about was couples children, have babies. babies. That was it. That was it. And especially after World War II, with the development of these uh, in the psychological world, psychological sciences, of the interest in the maturity of the human person and the good of the human person in terms of mental states and emotional states, all of this became very, very important. And so Paul VI was faced with a similar problem. He needed somehow to recreate the synthesis of Alphonsus Liguori with the new question. Well, please join us after this break as we continue to talk about Humanae Vitae and Paul VI and John Paul II's Theology of the Body. Join us for the Daily Mass, celebrated each day here on EWTN. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. We now return to Theology of the Body on EWTN Radio. Welcome back. As we continue to look at this very important question of the meaning of a marital union and how birth control has changed over the years and how that really required the church to rethink uh, think its teachings on birth control and to articulate it in a new way. And we saw how Pius XI and Cassidy Canubi uh, reiterated the teachings of the church. And then also I'd like to quote from the Vatican II Council in Gaudium et Spes because this was a question that was brewing at that time because we've got the birth control pill being developed in the late 50s, the early 60s. Vatican, the, go ahead. And the Vatican Council met from 62 to 65. Right, and so this question, we could say, is in the air Very much at in the, the air. time. And so this is from Gaudium et Spes 51. Gaudium et Spes, the pastoral constitution of the church in the modern world. Thank I you. don't know why they couldn't just say joy and hope, which is the translation. But, no, but that's yeah. how it's known. Uh, when there's a question of harmonizing conjugal love with the responsible transmission of life, the moral aspect of any procedure does not depend solely on sincere intentions or on an evaluation of motives, but must be determined by objective standards. Now that's a mouthful. You know, what they're saying is that it can't just be my intention that doesn't determine the morality of an act. In other words, if we love each other and we want to express that love and yet we use birth control to exclude children, the goodness of our intention doesn't make that action right. Exactly. It has to, uh, the criteria would be what you are doing, not just your intention. Right, both. You have to have a good both, intention both. and exactly. the church has said a good means, right. a good way. In other words, if I go out and rob a bank and I do it with the good intention of providing for my family, 
that doesn't make my action good. That's the Robin Hood principle. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> no, you can't do that. No. So I have to have a good intention, and then I have to have, have a good, good means. Acts. I have to right. go out and earn money right. logically. It should be noted that the Second Vatican Council in Gaudium et Spes, this constitution on the church, did not really uh, fully address this issue of contraception and the uh, contraceptive pill, which had just been developed, because Paul the Sixth, continuing what John the Twenty-Third had done, uh, put this whole question into the hands of the so-called Birth Control Commission. John the Twenty-Third had established this. Paul the Sixth expanded it, and the popes were using this commission of priests, archbishops, scientific experts, marital experts to advise them on how they should respond to this new contraceptive drug that was available. And so Paul VI withdrew the consideration of this issue from the council. There's a famous footnote in, in that document saying that Paul VI has reserved this to himself. It's a very interesting uh, footnote in terms of history, but it's also very interesting in terms of the rights of the Pope. A council can only speak in union with the Holy Father and at his direction. And if he chooses to withdraw a certain issue from consideration of a council, this is within his prerogative as the Vicar of Christ. And this is an example of it. The reason he did that is he wanted it in the hands of the commission that he had expanded from John the Twenty-Third. And so then some years after the council, Gaudium Spes was issued in 1965, some years after that, namely three, uh, the commission made its report and Paul VI issued Humani Vitae. Actually, there were two reports that came out of the commission, the famous minority and majority reports. Uh, this has been an incredible issue, and they were leaked to the press when they should not have been, because these were internal documents of the Vatican as, as advisory documents to Paul VI. And people always question, why didn't he go with the majority report that said the birth control pill, the contraceptive pill, was a morally acceptable choice. And Paul VI is not bound by majority decisions of anyone or of anybody. And furthermore, this was an advisory body of experts. It wasn't legislative. It's not like Congress uh, submitting a law to the president. This is a question of an advisory body to the Holy Father. And ultimately, the responsibility rests with him only. And so, this is hard sometimes for Americans to understand. Right. But Paul VI issued Humani Vitae then and held that there were two significances, meanings, uh, however you want to say it, of the marital act, that it was unitive and procreative. And in this sense, he affirmed this important aspect of conjugal love, of the good of the spouses, as well as the benefit of children. But he did talk about two things unitive and procreative and as long as you say there's two things then the question always is why can't I just have one rather than the other or can't I just do one without attending to the other or can't we have procreative for a while in the marriage and unitive later or something like this right because they're thinking that will we preserve each of them but kind of independently independently of each other but right. what the church is is always putting forth is that you need to have both of them or at least the possibility for new life um, at the same time I cannot exclude the possibility for new life but likewise I cannot exclude the unitive the the idea that in marital union one of its purposes is to make the two ever more one no to make make this point really clear 
a, a, a husband could not say to his wife, I want a baby, and so you're going to help me uh, create this baby, and all I care about is this baby. There have been people who have done this, and it's a terrible mistreatment. It's a using. Even if you're affirming the procreative aspect, you can't affirm just one without the other. Similarly, you can't affirm the good of the spouses, the unitive aspect, without there being at least the possibility of uh, new life. Yes, in Gaudium et Spes, it, it has both, it has a hint of this, because it says, um, based on the nature of the human person, this is so important, Gaudium et Spes and also um, John Paul II is bending over backwards to say that these two dimensions, these two meanings of marital union don't reside out there somewhere. Once again, they're not imposed from the outside, but they're actually of our nature. Of course, the language person. of Casti Canubi and the language of Gaudium et Spes with this idea of nature does connote this idea that it's beyond our control, that it's kind of given to us, that it is imposed. Uh, that's been one of the objections to to pa Paul the sixth teaching that it's it's based on biology and we don't have any control over our biology and we should have control over our biology because after all we can sit in darkened rooms and still uh, read and watch TV because of artificial lighting we control our environment we control nature we dam up rivers we defy gravity so to speak to fly in airplanes why can't we control our biology that was one of the criticisms and that's one of the uh, burdens that John Paul II is taking in this sixth cycle to show that this is not based solely on on that aspect of the human person but I'm reminded from what you said that John Paul II is a significant contributor to Gaudium et Spes so I'm suspicious you there's, know, that, there's some hints but yes, it's, the, it's not as developed here. as later the theology of, of the body not, is of course not and so in Vatican II it's still saying that um, the human person and his acts must preserve the full sense of mutual self-giving and human procreation. That that, that that those two dimensions are already there right. in Vatican II, and then um, Pope Paul VI makes them explicit. So Humanae Vitae, number 11, the Church teaches is absolutely required that in any use whatever of marriage, there must be no impairment of its natural capacity to procreate human life. So he's making it very clear, isn't he, that you know this was after the development of the birth control pill. And I think it's helpful to say the reason it became an issue is in the birth control pill, it appeared as if there was no direct intervention. And so mm -hmm. it appeared as if you know this wasn't interfering in mm -hmm. a sense. And that was what made it so difficult. But he's saying, no, in any way that there's an impairment of our natural capacity to procreate, that that is contrary to the mm -hmm. way God designed the human mm -hmm. body to be. Um, and then here is the, where he brings in the significances. He says, man, and this is Humanae Vitae number 12, man on his own initiative may not break between the unitive significance and the procreative significance, which are both inherent to the marriage act. So to me, that's kind of the flashing red light, mm -hmm. you know, that mm -hmm. we cannot break, as he says, on our own initiative, this, uh, the union between the procreative and the unitive significance and it gets back to that word that keeps coming over and over again meaning you know what we're really talking about is the meaning of the human person the meaning of life the meaning of our acts that we express the meaning of love the meaning of love really because in the theology of the body in the sixth cycle john paul ii indicates that he's rereading the words of humani vitae 
And that's not to exclude, obviously, what Gaudium et Spes says about it either, because Humani Vitae took up into it, if you will, Gaudium et Spes, because it was after the Vatican Council. But in this rereading of Humani Vitae, he sh John Paul II recreates that synthesis that Alphonsus Liguri already had. Whether you talk about Casti Canubi with his emphasis on procreation, whether you talk about Gaudium et Spes, talking about the nature, or Humani Vitae with the two meanings, you still have two things. The beauty of, of the theology of the body and the development in the theology of the body in the sixth cycle is not to deny any of that, but to put them all together in a, in a new synthesis where it, it transcends, if you will, this argument that it's just based on biology. And he does it with the idea of the rubric of love. How does he do that? Well, he talks about briefly, because the program, I think, is coming to an end. We'll have to talk about this a little bit next time. But he talks about love as we're called to love as the way God loves. And the way God loves always includes both of these things. So if you don't have permanence, if you don't have life-giving aspect, if it's not a will act, if it's not based on the recognition of each other's dignity, if it's not a self-gift, it's not love. The, these five characteristics are the definition of love because that's the way God loves and we're called to love as God loves. So our love has to have those five characteristics. If it doesn't have those five characteristics, then it's not love. You can't have unitive, meaning love, without life-giving. You can't have unitive, meaning love, without permanence. You can't have unitive, meaning life, love, I'm sorry, without um, without a choice, without a recognition of the dignity. It's like the definition of a car. A car has four wheels, a motor, a steering wheel, a few other things. If you have three wheels and a motor and a steering wheel, you've got a motorized trike. You don't have a car. So by, by saying this is the definition of love, then you don't have two things anymore. You've got one thing. So John Paul II is really bringing us back to once again love being the overarching thing theme, human love and the divine plan, which is... It brings these things together into one reality. And Paul VI recognized the problem. He said shortly after Humanae Vitae that this matter needs to be studied and developed. Please join us next time as we continue this discussion on Pope John Paul II's Theology of the Body. You've been listening to Theology of the Body with Father Richard Hogan and Katrina Zeno on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.